Hello, audience members out there in listener land. Thanks again for downloading the Noggin Notes podcast. My name is Jake Wiskirchen. I'm your host, and this is the introduction to the podcast. This one happens to be about boundaries, uh, how to make them and set them, as well as respect them in others. I do use the words boundary and limit interchangeably because I think they're mostly the same. And the reason I did this is because I've noticed over my years of experience in this field that maintaining one's own boundaries is a good indicator of how you keep yourself psychologically safe and healthy. Um, We obviously want to push boundaries sometimes in order to grow, but for the purposes of protecting oneself against uh, external intrusion that we don't want, we want to have good limits and we want to have good boundaries in place. Similarly, for maintaining relationships, we want to make sure that we're respecting and honoring other people's boundaries that they set. And um, I don't necessarily go into what is good or, or healthy or anything like that. I just I just discuss the concept of them. So we want to alleviate judgment about what someone's boundary may be and whether or not we think it's viable or, or worthwhile. That's not the point. The point is simply to acknowledge and respect it. And when we set our own, we like to do so with great intentionality so that we can articulate why the boundary is in place in case anyone asks. So that all being said, the show is sponsored by Zephyr Wellness yet again. It's a company that I co-own with my co-owner, Lindsay Bell, here in Reno, Nevada. Uh, we also have a location in Sparks, Nevada. And we, uh, we try to serve outside in the community as well, away from the brick-and-mortar shops. We try to push into schools and into different organizations. We offer trainings and seminars and continuing education opportunities, and and also podcasts like this one for free on apps like Noggin Notes for free. And if you haven't downloaded the Noggin Notes app, please do so. If you're only familiar with us in the podcast form, please check out the app. It's, uh, It's really good for helping gain insight into one's own mind and how it ticks. And without further delay, this is our episode on boundary making and boundary respecting. Enjoy. So in today's podcast, we're going to discuss boundaries and limit setting, and it was prompted by a listener mail question that asked just generally to talk about it, because I've I've referenced it several times uh, throughout the series of podcasts that we've done about the importance of of maintaining good boundaries and setting limits. And I've also, uh, you know, cross platforms mentioned the importance of boundaries and limits specifically pertaining to children. So... Let's start off with the definition. What do I mean by by boundaries or limits? And we can use those interchangeably. So as you're listening to this, don't don't get too hung up on on that particular set of words because they are interchangeable for for all intent and purpose. But um, essentially, what I mean is is when you when you say something, you mean it. So this speaks to consistency. And uh, if if you recall the four C's of parenting podcast um, with my uh, hat tip acknowledgement to Christian Conti for coming up with the four C's. Uh, One of those four C's is consistency. So with consistency comes credibility. And if you are consistent in what you say and how you deliver it, then you inherently increase your own credibility with your your audience, whether that be children or employees or coworkers or or your uh, your your relatives and friends. I mean, if you say something and you do it, people tend to believe in you a little bit more, and they and they tend to trust you. Now, if you break that consistency, then people tend to not trust you, and your your credibility erodes uh, the more often that you make promises and then fail to deliver. So uh, that is all that said. I want to make sure that I'm not somehow implying that we can't make mistakes and then uh, seek forgiveness and, and receive grace and, and go back into somebody's you know good good graces. 
with the full trust uh, in advance. So certainly mistakes happen. Calendar appointments get shuffled around. Um, you know, things get deleted from from our digital worlds. All sorts of mistakes happen. But but by and large, if you uh, promise something and you follow through consistently, then then your credibility is going to increase. So when we're talking about boundaries, what we mean is your ability to deliver on what is spoken. Um, boundary violations, however, uh, are typically done by people who don't um, recognize that or who have a little bit of a low credibility themselves. And uh, and I want to I just tease that out there for a second because I will come back to it. So we talk about setting boundaries and setting limits. Well, why would, why would we need to unless there are people who, who violate those things? So keep that in mind as we continue this conversation. You can set boundaries for yourself. Um, usually, we think of boundaries by saying no. You know, we we set a limit by saying no to something. If you're if you're doing lots of things and someone asks you for one extra thing, you can say no and protect yourself with a boundary or a limit. And if you think of it in physical or geographic terms, uh, you, you put a boundary around, say, a a plot of land or maybe a you know a piece of property, uh, or you you put a you put a piece of food on a dish. I mean, it's got it's bounded by those those corners of the dish, and you don't want it to fall off. So, so think of those physical boundaries and apply them psychologically or emotionally or or interpersonally, um, if you will, and and consider it in almost in a in a metaphorical way, like like you have a bubble around something, or you've drawn an invisible line. And I know for like dogs, they have these invisible fence. Uh, it's called invisible fence. And basically what it is is you lay some stuff around your property and then you put a collar on the dog and the dog, like if it gets close to the fence, it gets zapped or, or buzzed or, or something. So think of that when you when you set your limits or your boundaries and think of people as bumping up against those limits and boundaries. And if you hold them consistently, what you're sending is a message of credibility, so let me let me uh, take it out of the abstract for a second and and more into the concrete with some examples. I have an agency that I mentioned before. Uh, I mentioned it every podcast. It's called Zephyr Wellness, and um, and in our agency we have some some paperwork to complete uh, in order for you to be treated uh, at a, at a clinical level by our clinicians. And you'll see this. I'm assuming it's in every country, but I'm only speaking for America. Um, where you sign some consents to be treated at the at the at the very outset of your treatment, whether it be medical or dental or physical or, or emotional or mental, you you sign a consent to be treated, and we're always signing things uh, so that we're consenting that whatever work is going to be performed, whether it be you know on our car or by an attorney in the court of law or in the counseling world, uh, what we're doing is we're consenting to the to the language that the provider of that treatment has promised. So we, we enter into a, a contract of sorts where both sides have mutually agreed upon the terms and those terms therein create the boundaries. So at Zephyr, our consent to treat form starts out with a paragraph that says something along the lines of counseling is very challenging because you're looking at you know spots in your life that you didn't want to look at or were dark and uh, now we're shining light on them. And, and as, as a result, what ends up happening is Counseling can make your life seem like it's getting harder before it actually gets better. So the promise is you go into counseling and you're going to be you're going to be better off later. But the interim period can be very very difficult. That's one of the parts of the consent forms that we ask people to sign when they come in is the acknowledgement that three or four sessions in, when we're making them take a good hard look at themselves in the mirror, 
they don't freak out and say, "Hey, you you didn't you didn't say this was going to suck." Uh, then I can pull out the the consent form and say, "Actually, I did tell you it was going to suck, and you signed that it was okay." Um, and and sometimes we have to have those conversations, and I laugh a little bit because those are um, they're often lighthearted. Actually, um, people will come back and say, "You know what? I've been fighting a lot more with my wife ever since I you told me to get honest with her." I said, "Well, I did promise that to you in the beginning." Um, and then we have a good laugh and we move on and we know that that's part of the growth process is uh, self-examination, which can be very scary and very freaky. But what I'm demonstrating that person in terms of boundaries is, Hey, I set this limit and I'm, and I'm, I'm delivering on what I promised. I told you it could be, it could be risky. Um, but you're, you're willing to bear those risks in order to see the benefits on the other side. Now, at the same time, I also don't promise any benefits because I don't, I don't live your life. I don't have a magic wand I can wave over you and deliver you from all the, the stress and, and, um, and whatever's plaguing you at the time. You have to walk those things out. So that's why you know, benefits aren't promised because ultimately it's up to you to walk out the, the, uh, the instructions that we as clinicians give you. Same thing with your attorneys, your, your auto mechanics. Um, I always go to attorneys and auto mechanics for some reason because I think they're they're out of our profession, but they're still professionals uh, with a high level of training. And I think we, uh, we expect them to deliver a, a high service similar to the medical profession. So I always just reach for those because it takes it out of the medical realm for a little bit. But anyway, um, we, we sign these consents and within the consents are things like, hey, uh, this might seem like it's getting worse before it gets better. And then another one has to do with confidentiality and another one has to do with uh, how and when you contact us and within business hours and what those business hours are and whether or not we'll respond in a crisis. Um, and, and all that's laid out in this consent form. And then there's financial obligations, which is a different part of the form. It says you, by entering into this agreement, uh, are essentially saying, I will make good on the pavement. So not pavement, that came out weird, I think, but the payment. So uh, it's a professional service being rendered by me to the client. The client acknowledges, yes, I agree to your terms of whatever your rates are, and I will pay them even if my insurance company doesn't pay or I have a deductible to meet or whatever. Um, you know, it basically says, you have the right, Jake, to ask me for this money if the, uh, if the third-party payer doesn't, doesn't come through. And, and they agree to that. So where I get to hold those boundaries is if the insurance company doesn't pay. For example, they say that the, the treatment we're performing is not a part of their insured benefit. And I go back to the person, we'll call him Joe. I say, hey, Joe, uh, your insurance company denied the claim. Uh, we, we need that 100 bucks from you. He goes, well, I know. I signed that form. Okay, that's me holding that boundary. Now, in my profession, Sometimes we negotiate our fees, and that's and that's perfectly fine. And people are welcome to do whatever they do uh, in their own businesses. Uh, fortunately, we have the freedom of a of a capitalist country where we can enter into these private contracts, and you know the government doesn't dictate our terms as you know some sort of overlord. Um, but what ends up happening oftentimes in not only my profession but other professions is we'll have a softening of heart. We'll consider somebody's situation. We'll become very compassionate and say, you know what, that's fine. I get I get that you're broke right now. Things are really tough. Um, you're out of work. Uh, you depleted your savings account for some medical bills or whatever. Um, I'll let this one slide. Or maybe um, you know we we have we have a heart for somebody and there's some, some extenuating circumstances and we and we'll waive a copayment uh, something like that. Now that's an erosion of that boundary, no doubt. Um, it could breed a loss of credibility if I were to do that over and over. It could also devalue the professional service that I'm offering. So if I set my rate at a hundred bucks 
And uh, Joe says, "I'm, uh, you know, Jake. Geez, I really, I really expected this insurance to pay. I hadn't planned on paying you for this. Um, I, I don't have the money." And then I say, "Well, how does how does half price sound? How does fifty bucks sound?" He goes, "Well, uh, that sounds okay to me." Uh, and then he pays it. And then he goes and tells his friends, "Hey, Jake negotiated this rate with me. He's a really cool guy. Um, I'll bet if you ask him and tell him he's that you're broke, he'll he'll negotiate with you too." All of a sudden, now my service has gone from v- being valued at a hundred dollars to to fifty dollars. And if that word spreads, it's possible that those people spread it far enough that other clinicians who are not even affiliated with me or Zephyr Wellness can be in a position of having to negotiate their rates as well. And and what I've done is I've I've started to devalue the the service that we offer. Uh, on behalf of everybody in my profession, that's really unfair. Um, but that all being said, I don't want to take away somebody's ability to, uh, in specific circumstances, negotiate a different set of terms or a different set of boundaries. So that's one example. Another example that's very, very similar is with our children. Now, we preach consistency in child rearing all the time because without consistency, our children think that they can negotiate everything. And that's very dangerous because children's brains are physically underdeveloped uh, until they're, they're much older. And so you don't want to get into a negotiation with a, an 8-year-old or a 12-year-old because they simply lack the capacity physiologically, biologically, and developmentally to understand the the nuanced differences that go into a contextual uh, discussion about what's being negotiated. So, for example, if we say uh, no no snacks after dinner because uh, it disrupts your sleep patterns with all the sugar in your bottom in your body. Geez, I'm really stumbling over my words today. You have sugar in your bottom too, I suppose. Uh, but if but if we say no snacks after dinner because with sugar in your body it disrupts your sleep patterns. Um, and then, uh, you know, the, 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 the child says to us, but I really, 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 really want it. And I go, all right, I'm, I, I'm a softy. I'll, I'll give in this time. What may end up happening is down the road, the child thinks, okay, that worked one time with dad. I wonder if it'll work this next time. And then I become inconsistent. It's, it's quite possible that if you've been consistent long enough with your children, that that one time happens to be when you're on vacation in Disneyland and it's after dinner, but you still have, uh, you know, three hours left till fireworks and then the kids aren't going to get to bed till 11 o'clock anyway. And bedtime at home is normally 8.30 or 9. You say, all right, we're in Disneyland, we're on vacation. You can have some snacks because it's Disneyland and we're on vacation. And they may understand that because the context is completely different. They're not at home. They're surrounded by, you know, animation and, and, you know, walking characters with masks and the park's crowded and there's fireworks and so forth. Like it's a completely different environment. They may be able to separate those in their heads and not do what we call generalize that one experience to other negotiations. Now I can speak to this uh, personally because my, my three and three quarters year old, and he will tell you that if you ask him how old he is, he'll say three and three quarters. Um, he does not yet know how to discern the exception from the rule. So I need to be as consistent as possible and, and almost literally never give in. If I say something, I have to deliver on it like a hundred percent of the time, because if I make one exception, he'll only remember that exception and think that it applies universally or generally to any time that he just has an impulse to break the rule. So I need to be as consistent as possible with that rule. 
Now, as kids grow older, you can start to negotiate a little bit more with them and and help create the context uh, through which these negotiations happen. And typically, the, those ages range somewhere between 10 and 12 years old when, when kids are able to understand, okay, this is an exception to the rule and it's a special circumstance and I, I don't, I'm not going to ask uh, repeatedly for the same treatment over and over again. Uh, so in adolescence is when that, that brain formulation starts to happen and, and they can do what's called abstract think. Uh, they can think abstractly and, and um, start to, to put the pieces together. But what I'm doing inherently is I'm breaking my boundary. I say no snacks after dinner. Uh, that's got to mean no snacks after dinner, like period, full stop. If I were to break that, what I'm introducing then is is an inconsistent reinforcement schedule or an intermittent reinforcement schedule for those of you who are familiar with uh, behaviorist terms. And what we know about that is it's the it's the strongest predictor of making a behavior uh, an addictive pattern. So this is how we get gambling, right? We, we get people addicted to gambling by intermittently reinforcing their behaviors. Sometimes we'll get a payout, sometimes you won't. And it draws people back because they just don't know when the payout is going to be versus the loss. So they keep going back. Now, if I'm doing that to my children or I'm doing that to my employees or I'm doing that to my client, I'm intermittently reinforcing. What I, what I get is more people coming back asking me for the exception to the rule because it, it pleases them than, than to be expecting the rule itself. Um, if that's confusing, feel, feel free to email me and I can, I can clarify it. Um, but I, th- I think the idea is, is being communicated that if you set a boundary and you keep it, um, people know where you stand. So in something like, uh, negotiating a, a counseling rate, we're largely dealing with adults and largely they will know the difference between an exception and a rule. And so you, after the period of time has has lapsed where the exception has has passed or expired say the you know joe gets back on his feet gets a job he uh you know is now able to pay his bills or maybe his deductible is met he has new insurance he's no longer going to expect me to to uh, you know offer the lower negotiated rate because the terms have tr- have changed and um and the circumstances have have altered right so they're they've gone back to normal now and uh we can go back to the the original contract by the way it is a good idea if you're negotiating that kind of thing that was once in writing uh to put the next thing in writing also because uh handshake agreements can get really screwy if there's one thing in writing with signatures and there's something else that's just verbal. So if you're listening and you're a clinician and you're, you're tempted to break your own rules, make sure that you at least document the, the rule breaking so that if somebody ever challenges it, uh, you've got some proof there that both parties agreed to it and it wasn't arbitrary. So moving on now, um, I want to discuss the boundary violations. Now, sometimes, as I alluded earlier, boundary violations can occur when people uh, themselves are dysregulated or they, they have an inability to tolerate distress. And uh, other times, like the ones I just described, uh, there's just simply a, a, hey, do you mind if we take a break on this for, for a minute? You know, can, can, we just, can we just relax on the consistency because we're all, we're all suffering and we're all in agreement that maybe we don't need to be consistent with this, with this boundary? Um, that's different. That's not pathological. The pathological, or, you know, and, and to define pathological because I try to define lingo, pathological just means unhealthy. Um, typically it means a, a pattern of unhealthy, but the pathological boundary violations occur when people have been trained 
over time, either through childhood and upbringing or through some sort of uh, series of events, you know, maybe with employers or, or whatnot, to question the rules and then not receive the the limit setting that accompanies it. So it's 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 okay to question things. Um, I, I'm a big fan of knowing why things occur. In fact, my favorite word in counseling is intentionality. Uh, it's the spirit of acting with with purpose and intent. So um, we should always question things. We should always question the rules, but we don't necessarily need to challenge them all the time. Especially when when the person in authority has said this is the way it is, gives an explanation, and and then. That, that explanation makes sense and is satisfactory. Um, so we don't need to be challenging things all the time. And I think where, where boundary violations and, and constant challenging come from are, are folks who have been exposed over long periods of time to that intermittent reinforcement schedule such that they think that everything is, is negotiable. So let's take a classic example of, of a person who commits a crime and goes to court and uh, challenges the the accusation is found guilty, but negotiates a plea deal to avoid the maximum sentence. Well, that's intermittent reinforcement. That's inconsistent. If it is, if it says in the law that there's there's going to be this and such penalty delivered for this and such crime, and that penalty doesn't happen, what you're essentially telling the person is, go ahead and do it again. We're not really serious. And this happens with repeat DUI offenders all the time. Uh, the re- the reason that you know, so goes the theory that people don't learn from their first DUI not to drive, drive drunk is because the penalty wasn't stiff enough the first time. Now, in in some cases, it is simply having one's license suspended for 90 days, as the as is the case in, in most areas of the country, um, and then losing the ability to drive, losing the privilege to drive, having to pay uh, court fines and fees, maybe do a, a victim impact panel. That is shocking enough to the system to say, I am never going to do this again. Well, chances are really strong that the person who experiences that was raised in an environment that was really consistent with its boundary adherence and, and rule keeping. So when they, when they break the law the first time, that um, low, lowest level punishment or penalty really hits them hard. Now, for people who are raised in an inconsistent environment where um, boundaries and rules were you know, negotiated frequently and words never really meant anything and limits were to be broken consistently, they may have to have repeat occurrences and encounters with the law in order to level up to the maximum penalty before the message is sent. And some people never receive the message, and there's a variety of reasons for that. I'm just speaking to the pattern of, of boundary adherence or boundary breaking. Now, why would people consistently bump up against the rules and the boundaries? Well, let's remove substance use from the picture and pretend that there's no, there's no alcohol involved, so there's no disruption of cognitive functioning and, and the way that one's, one's brain works, right? So we all know that if you're under the influence, you make poorer choices. Let's pretend there's none of that. Why would somebody consistently break your boundaries? Why would somebody consistently not adhere to the rules? In my experience, it's typically because that person doesn't like being told no, doesn't like being told what to do, and has crafted him or herself through the course of time to believe that they can get away with negotiating everything. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with trying to negotiate things until it starts to become offensive and, in our world, um, interfering with life. So, 
if it's life interfering such that you can't maintain any relationships because you just can't accept anybody's answers, like, hey, you want to go to a party this Saturday at 7 o'clock, uh, the person goes, I don't want to go to a party at 7 o'clock on Saturday. I want to go to a party at 6 o'clock on Saturday. Well, there is no party at 6 o'clock. It's at 7. Well, that doesn't work for me. I don't, we have to have the party at 6. There is no party. It's like, you know, it's like you start to get into this back and forth because the person simply can't accept the reality that um, the party as scheduled was not on their terms. That's a boundary issue. They're not they're not accepting the limits set by the by the party host. It says, no, it starts at seven, not six. Don't come till seven. Well, I'm going to be there at six. Like, why are you violating my boundaries? This is ridiculous. It's it's largely because they don't like being told no. Uh, they, they don't like being you know, having rules placed upon them. And again, there's lots and lots of reasons for that. But chiefly for me, it comes down to distress tolerance. So if we go back to emotional functioning, when we think about the wave, you got a beginning, a middle and an end to an emotional experience. And in this case, it's uh, we'll call it sadness or disappointment, um, maybe uh, diverging into frustration, right? So if somebody says no, or somebody says stop, and you don't like being told no, and you don't like being told stop, because you can't handle your own distress tolerance, which involves having to ride through that wave of going, oh, I didn't get what I wanted. I wanted a party at six o'clock. I wanted to be able to negotiate my rate with my clinician. I wanted to have sugar after dinner. If you're not able to tolerate that distress, you're going to try to keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And sometimes you don't even ask permission. Sometimes these these people who, who break boundaries uh, you know, regularly all the time, and I'm thinking, uh, people who perpetrate sexual assaults and violence upon others. Those are massive boundary breaches. What they're essentially saying at a very, very minimal level is they don't like being told no. They don't like adhering to somebody else's limits. And that can have disastrous consequences for your interpersonal relationships, even if it's not leveling up to violence and, and sexual assaults. It could just be um, not showing up on time going in late to work because you don't respect that the boss wants you there at 8.30 and you show up at 9. That's that's disastrous for your occupation. It's disastrous for your interpersonal relationships. Um, when you're so absorbed in your own world that you fail to respect the limits and boundaries of those around you, you end up having some pretty pretty tough times walking through life. I wanted to point that out because when we go through our own distress and we learn to tolerate it, what we're essentially learning is that we're learning to live life on life's terms instead of trying to make life happen on our terms. So if you happen to be in relation with somebody who's constantly violating your boundaries, they're constantly breaking your your rules and, and pushing past your limits, it may be time to reevaluate that relationship and decide whether or not it's worth being in relation with that person. Um, because apart from a conversation that, that brings that to their attention and saying, hey, are you aware that every time I say something about what I want, you just run right over the top of me and it's making me very upset and, and it's making me question whether or not I'm in a relationship with you. Apart from having a conversation like that, uh, chances are pretty good that the person's pattern of doing that is such that they're probably not going to change because you're probably not the only one that they're doing it with. Now, if you happen to be one of those people who's who has an inability to um, respect limits and boundaries. Maybe you, maybe you constantly uh, text people after they've said, don't text me at this time of night. Or uh, maybe you know somebody says the conversation's over and you try to keep dragging it out. Um, perhaps uh, you're the one who's constantly shown up late to work because 
you just don't respect the, the job that you work or the, the boss you're working for. If that's you, I would invite you to examine the the root cause of why you're in it, you're unable to tolerate somebody else's limits and boundaries. I want to paint a picture for you here, um, and it was a really good one that was shared with me by a colleague some time ago. Um, envision a whiteboard in your head. So you got a whiteboard. Uh, draw a little house on there somewhere, like in the corner. Um, that's a, that's a little little farmer's house, and he's got. His pasture runs the entire length of the whiteboard, and he's allowed to, to graze his cattle freely until somebody comes in and buys up a, another section of that and puts a house in and puts a fence around it. If the farmer who was first there doesn't recognize the boundaries set by the, the new person who just arrived and put up the fence, he may get very upset. He may even come all the way to the fence and start screaming uh, that his cows should be allowed to graze in that part of the the pasture that used to be his. And that new farmer may come to the fence and say, hey, man, I, I bought this fair and square from the county. Uh, I've erected my fence. And oh, by the way, it's going to be an electric fence tomorrow. I recommend you don't touch it. Well, what that second farmer, the newest one who's arrived, is doing, he's, he's setting a limit and boundary. He's advertising. He's hung signs on his fence that say, caution, do not touch electric fence. If the original farmer doesn't respect that boundary, he can keep bumping up against that fence and keep getting zapped, and he'll keep getting angry, and he'll keep yelling and screaming. But that's not the new farmer's problem. The new farmer did exactly what he promised. He set up a fence, he told him it was going to be full of electricity, and he's free to do what he wants with it. The original farmer has the problem. He's not respecting that limit and that boundary. And he's only causing himself more pain by continuing to run into the fence. And it, and he can scream and yell as much as he wants. But the simple fact is the county and the government have sold that, that, that new piece of property to the new farmer. And he's well within his rights to do whatever he wants to do on that patch. And he's even advertised it. There's no trickery there. He's not surprising you know, the, the, the old farmer by electrifying his fence and not telling him. He was very, very clear. I think that serves as a good metaphor for what we encounter sometimes in our lives when, when people get upset at our boundaries and limits and then treat us like it's our fault. It's not our fault. I told you what I expected. I told you what I was going to do. Um, if you can't tolerate it, that's a you issue. So if you find yourself as one of those people who's constantly bumping up against the fence and, and getting you know metaphorically uh, zapped, you may do well to evaluate where in your life you can learn to look around and respect other people's limits and then tolerate your own distress at not getting what you want. If you were that metaphorical original farmer who's used to grazing his cattle all over the place and now somebody is allowed a, a new person to come in and take part of that land, it's your job to to alter your version of reality to match actual reality so that you're not constantly getting distressed by trying to graze where you can no longer graze, so to speak. This happens all the time in interpersonal relationships. Something changes, something shifts, uh, new new boss comes in, uh, they, they plow under a street and put a hotel in the middle of it, and you have to drive around it. You know what I mean? Like, we, we, we're constantly faced with changing, evolving culture and landscape around us, and if we fail to meet life where life is, we are going to be frustrated. And instead of looking internally to solve that problem, sometimes we'll be looking externally and blaming others. And meanwhile, the others have moved on. They don't, they don't care about our whining and our, our moaning and our complaining because they're too busy doing whatever it is that they do 
Meanwhile, we're left miserable. So if you, if, you, if you find yourself miserable because things are changing and you fail to adapt, look internally, look to tolerate your own distress, and, and try to meet life where life is. Try to meet your, your landscape where it's changed instead of forcing it back to the way that you think it should be, which is you know a reflection of yesteryear. I'm sure that there's many metaphors that I that people could share, many anecdotal experiences. Uh, I know that professionally, I see this all the time, where where things change around folks, uh, cultures shift, laws uh, get adopted, um, certain restrictions are placed, certain restrictions are lifted, and instead of going, okay, this is happening, uh, I need to make some adjustments. People yell and scream and 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 complain and whine and they picket and they protest and they throw you know eggs at the at the organization or whatever is going on, and they that what they're trying to do is is reverse what's happened. They're trying to unwind time because they themselves can't tolerate the new limits that have been set, the new rules that have been laid down, and some of this is understandable. That's fine. Uh, distress accompanies all life. Uh, most of life has something unpleasant that, that comes along with it as things change because change is often very challenging. But if you find yourself in a pattern of constantly experiencing it, that's where we're probably we need to do a little bit more analysis. So I hope this was beneficial. Um, if you if you encounter people in your life who, who just constantly undermine you and, and uh, don't respect your limits and boundaries, it's probably time to reevaluate the relationship. And, and if you are one of those people who... Um, you know, others are complaining about like, Hey, why don't you, why don't you respect my limits? Why don't you email me back on time? Um, why don't you show up to work on time? Um, can't you just take no for an answer? If you're one of those people and you think that you need work on that, I would, I would look first at, at aligning your expectations with reality and maybe, um, maybe trying to meet people where they are instead of trying to force your way into their life and, and make them comply with what you want. Because uh, that can be a pretty exhausting exercise, making everybody do what you want to do. It's usually easier just to uh, to adapt yourself to them. Well, um, as always, we encourage feedback. And you can reach us at info at nogginnotes.com or info at zephyrwellness.org. And uh, love to hear your, your comments and your feedback. If this makes sense to you, then uh, I'd love to hear that. And if it doesn't make sense, let me know that too, because I can I can always stand to grow myself. On behalf of the Naga Notes team and the Zephyr Wellness family, I do wish you all great mental wellness. Goodbye. Goodbye.